the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to Lifeline. Today in studio visiting with Pastor Timothy and Vanessa Russell from New Hope Christian Fellowship. Let's talk about the church for a moment. We mentioned about the fact that you folks meet in Hayward. You're at 22110 Montgomery Street off of Mission in Hayward. Give us a sense of what does that congregation look like? You know, we were blessed uh, a little over a year ago, right around a year ago, Mm -hmm. to merge. Two churches became one. Uh, I was pastoring a non-denominational church called Lift Ministries, and Pastor Victor Cervantes was pastoring New Hope, and we decided, as we've been friends for a long time, to come together and be one church. And you, the, God has just blessed it. Yes, I mean it's it's I I mean in all phases. I mean we we're just I don't want to say booming out at the scenes, but we're literally yeah. seeing the move of God in a way that we didn't see it individually. And so what we have there is a group of imperfect, forgiven people being perfected by the Lord with a great leadership team. Mm-hmm. I, I tell I just was telling the pastor in the lobby, I said, I pastor thirteen people. That's what I pastor. I pastor the senior leadership team. I pastor them, I pour into them. Then they go and pastor you know, those that God has given underneath them. And some ministries are bigger than my ministry. I'm pastoring 13. You know, Pastor Randy pastors way more than that. You know, but still, so, isn't that what discipleship is supposed to be? That's what it's it. supposed to be. You know, yeah. when you think about it, oh, yeah. if the shepherd is at the top, you might not have that many. I mean, you look at the house churches, the underground churches, yeah. literally that existed in the first century church, that then had people that below the people that below the people. You might, at the end of the day, have thousands of lives that are being that's influenced. It. The only difference is we don't all come together in the same building at the same time. That's it. That's, right. that's it. And that's how we are. My wife, um, her and Cindy, they the women's ministry is huge. It's growing. It's it's something to be looked at. And uh, again, we're all doing our part. And coming from a college football, I, I played at Humboldt State. With coming from that mindset, is I understand that each position is important. And there's without the wide receiver, the lineman. I was a running back. I'm no good. I don't care how fast I think I can run. I can't outrun a defense with no protection and no wide receivers. Ronnie Lott would not have many Super Bowl rings were he the only one on the field. Come on. Come on. I mean, and Joe Montana wouldn't either if he didn't have the team around him as well. And then you got to coach the Lord Jesus on the sidelines giving you the direction and the plays. And so I think our church is trying to build that model. And we've been real successful. Um, Me and my wife are leading from the rear and not always from the front, being support rather than always saying, do it this way. Well, and let's face it, even in football, the coach has to step out at some point. Yes. Right. You've been there at practice. You have the you've playbook. You've run the plays. Right. You've designed the playbook. You've chided them when they needed to be chided. You right. encouraged them and blessed them when they needed to be blessed. And then when it comes game day, That's right. you give a little bit of a go get them gang speech in the locker room. And then you have to stand back. That's right. And pray that everything that you've taught 
has been ingrained in them enough that now their reaction on the field will be instinctive. Yeah. Yes. A lot like the church, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the Bible is the playbook. That's right. And, and the coaching is the preaching. And coming together as a team and practicing on Sundays – Yes. Knowing that this is not only rehearsal for eventually being all together in heaven. That's right. Mm-hmm. But it's also rehearsal for now stepping out into the highways and byways. Come on. Once pastors said, and you are dismissed, doxology sung, amen. Yeah. And to get out there and then be about that business of representing Christ. Come on. Yes. Making disciples and living out that tent maker, uh, workplace evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, whatever you want to call it, being that representative of Jesus Christ in such a fashion so that the one who doesn't have that relationship looks yep. at you and says, what do you have? Who do you know mm-hmm. that makes you so different? Yeah. And to that point, I, you know, I never introduced myself to anyone. I'm Pastor Tim. I said, I'm Tim. I, I want to when they find out that I'm a pastor, I want them to say, I knew it was something. Because we've made our titles Mm -hmm. the most important thing in our lives, not realizing they're gifts that God gave us for the edifying of the church. Well, look in front of the world, you know. Will they know us because we all carry a tag that says, brother so-and-so? No. Says they will know us by our love. That's right. That's true. And my my wife's real good at that. I mean, she's real good at making sure her name of organization is Love Never Fails. Mm -hmm. To making sure that we're, even when we teach, we're trauma-informed. We respect that people are going through things in the audience. uh, And and not to just criticize them and beat them down and make them feel like there's no hope. But if we're going to use the scripture to let them know, hey, fix this. We got to also tell them this is how you fix it, and God loves you. And we're not the end all. We counsel to an extent, and then we want to make sure we bring in those that are qualified and certified to do what we really can't do and shouldn't do. You know, and I think that uh, doing that, doing it that way, has made us successful. It also comes back to the sense of process, doesn't it? Yeah. Paul talked about working out one's salvation. Mm-hmm. And also then quickly said, oh, by the way, I have to die daily to the flesh. I struggle with this every single day. And I think in Paul, well, following his experience on the road to Damascus uh, and considering the fact that he probably wrote uh, two-thirds, three-quarters of the Mm -hmm. New Testament, you think, this this guy's pretty well plugged in. Right. And yet even he had his struggles. Come on. Mm -hmm. Which shows you how vigilant you need to be in dealing with the enemy. Yes. And that that armor – in that battle, 360 around you yeah. really needs to be a part of, of one's daily mindset, doesn't yes. it? Yeah, yes. totally, totally. I, 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 I love Paul. I love his writings, and I, I love the fact that he said, there's no good thing in my flesh. I preach that all the time. You know, there's no good thing. It's Jesus that is lifted up. It's Jesus that is worshipped. I'm just a, a, a vessel being used by him to encourage you and let you know he loves you unconditionally and he wants to have a relationship with you deeper than you ever thought of uh, and I love preaching from my my defeats and, and my failures I don't just preach from successes me and my wife don't just talk about oh we did this and it's great we talk about our struggles we we make fun of them we laugh about them oh, yeah. well in our weakness yeah, he is he made is great <laughs> he is made strong yes and let's face it you know if, if life goes on all peaches and cream and everything is great 
I don't have a lot of need for What's prayer. I don't really right. have to go to God for anything because it's all looking great on my end. Hey, mm-hmm. there are a lot of folks in Silicon Valley making six figures a year, driving the Tesla, got the good-looking wife. They got the big career job at the IT company that everybody knows. He knows is, me. Boy, I, <laughs> I read your bio. <laughs> <laughs> Life is going great. Yeah. So for what do we need God? Yeah. Right. But the Bible also tells us that it rains on the just it and the unjust. Yeah, that's true. And when that storm comes, yeah. if you're not ready, that's right. that's right. If you don't know the master who can protect you right. and shelter you right. and save you, and right. now you're stunningly facing a daughter who's been kidnapped and you don't know where. Yeah. Wow. A son who has been pulled off into a life of drug abuse. Yeah. A diagnosis of cancer in the family, the loss of a job, the foreclosure on a house. Right. When those realities of life hit, mm-hmm. and you have no idea where the shelter is to run to. Come on. Um, life can unravel pretty quickly. It, mm-hmm. it can. It can. If you don't know that I can look to the hills from which cometh my help. Yes. You're, you're right. Storms are coming. I don't care how great. And I, I hope anybody's listening right now. They understand that life bring storms there are things and if if your foundation is not the lord jesus christ the house will fall and that's really the distinction isn't it Tim? Yep. In, in the sense that storms will come to all of us yes rain on the just and unjust as we said a moment ago it is whether or not you are properly prepared to meet that challenge that's right based on your relationship with the lord that that i am persuaded that he is able that's right yes that really makes the distinction as to whether or not you come out on the other side of that storm victorious mm-hmm. or whether that storm causes you to lose all hope and defeat. That's right. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah, when I, when I think about um, some of the things that I've gone through in my life, and I, you know, I, I often think that um, there's no tears wasted with the Lord, right? And, and there's, there's, I found purpose in the pain that I've experienced. I've been able to be a, a more relevant witness for Christ Amen. because of that. And um, I, can, I consider it a, a, a badge of honor that I get to be relevant to people that have gone through things and I get to be a light and I, I, th- I thought it was so interesting that, uh, I'm actually written into a book from one of my good friends who's a reverend in, uh, in Oakland and he wrote a book and uh, he said uh, Vanessa you know she's not from the street you know you just know she's not from the street because she uses the king's English he said <laughs> and, I, and I thought that was hilarious because here my background is you know foster care and abuse and, you know, growing up in poverty and welfare and all these different things. And yet, because of Christ. Well, there's the restorative power of God. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's mm-hmm. a, he's shining through me and convincing people that, you know, I, I've got King's English. You yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm all that polished up. That which the have eaten. Yes. He will restore. Yeah. See, he knows Vanessa, but I know Nessa. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, hold on. That's after the show. No. This is a family rated program. <laughs> but Vanessa, because of uh, Vanessa's well acquaintance with Nessa, mm-hmm. she's relevant. And you can't write my kids can the kids cannot run anything by her. She is the local branch of the FBI <laughs> in our home. And that's because of things she's seen, things she's experienced, things that she knows. Well and, and all of those experiences 
many of them difficult and painful, mm-hmm. all contribute to not only our personality, our ability to weather the storm, but I think also our our knowledge and understanding and relationship of the Lord. Oh, yeah. It's one thing to read in Scripture how that Jesus came to the blind man and took a little bit of spittle and clay and placed it on the eyes and he was given sight again. Yes. Wonderful story. Mm-hmm. Beautiful story. It's another thing to say, I know that I know that I know, not just because the Bible tells me so, but because I've experienced it right. firsthand, because yeah. I, too, was blind or lame or burdened with whatever. Yeah. yeah. And God, very God himself delivered me. And it is that that power of our own testimony yeah. that not only makes us overcomers, yeah. but I believe also empowers us to be most effective as we share our faith with others. Yes. Appreciate both of you being with us today in studio, Pastor Timothy and Vanessa Russell. Information again about the church on the web at Hope for Hayward. That's the number four Hayward.com. Hope for Hayward.com. Church meeting at 22110 Montgomery Street off Mission in the city of Hayward. Sunday services 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. Spanish service Sunday afternoons at 2.30 p.m. And then Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. And again, details available on the web at Hope for Hayward.com. The broadcasts equally yoked Saturdays at 12 noon. New Hope Christian Fellowship, Sundays at 10.30 a.m., and Love Never Fails Abolition Radio, Saturdays at 3 p.m., right here on KFAX. That's such a laundry list, I feel like I've forgotten something. (laughs) You got it all. Appreciate you both coming in today and sharing, and we encourage our listeners to either stop by the church. If you're new to the Bay Area looking for a new church home, I hope you've heard something in the conversation today that you like. You'll drop by and, and be a visitor this Sunday and check out any of the broadcasts right here on KFAX. Our thanks again to Pastor Timothy and Vanessa Russell from New Hope Christian Fellowship for being with us today. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. There is an idyllic formula for life, and I think we all know how generally it goes. You have school-age crushes, you fall in love around the age of 17 or so, then you're off to college by 18, you marry your high school sweetheart by 22, buy a home, raise a family, retire, you die, and someday you're buried by your surviving children. That's the idyllic formula. Of course, we know that contrary to that, life often hands us something quite different. And when that formula falls out of order, it can create a tremendous amount of pain. It can cause people to be stumbling in their relationships, both spiritual as well as with their relationships on the horizontal plane. How do you go about recovering from life when it happens out of order? Joining me today in studio is Pamela Prime, author of When the Moon is Dark, We Can See the Stars. And Pamela, welcome to the program. Thank you, Craig. Your life kind of happened out of order, in a sense. It did. (laughs) Particularly so, and I think that every parent who's heard of these stories immediately gets that sort of quickening in their hearts that, oh, I never want that to happen to me, that sense that we are supposed to be buried by our children, we're not supposed to bury our children, Mm -hmm. and yet that happened to you not once but twice in a relatively short period of time and then compounded with a divorce after many, many years of marriage. How did all that impact you in terms of your viewpoint on life? 
and your relationship to God. Well, Craig, really the reason I wrote the book is to support people who go through difficult times in their life and to let them know that there, there really is light at the end of the tunnel. I feel so blessed by God to have a life that is filled with joy, regardless of the fact that I have had suffering. And I wanted to share that with people and give people hope and also support people who are going through something at the particular moment that they may have read the book or be reading the book. You describe your experience as feeling lonely and isolated. And it's funny because so oftentimes we'll go through the loss of a loved one. There will be a grieving process. There Mm -hmm. will be a funeral. People send cards. They send flowers. They telephone us. They send over the proverbial, the, the casserole for dinner and things of this sort. They try to give us a lot of attention. And yet there's a time when that activity slows down. And then suddenly you're left with that sense of the why questions uh-huh. and struggling through that that tremendous sense of loss and that isolation and it's amazing that you can be surrounded by people and yet because of that experience you feel so terribly lonely and isolated i i think that the the loneliness i felt was more around my my marriage than around the deaths of the children mm. oddly enough uh there was a sense of loneliness even though i was married because we weren't able to really communicate in the way that uh, I had hoped, or I think even he had hoped, and um, and it was a sense of of really needing to to find a way to either communicate or to separate, and um, I I think I I sometimes would say to myself that having to go through a divorce was almost more painful because it was a really a dream that was just completely broken and I wasn't able to live out what I had hoped. I have always believed that the children are gifts from God. I have five children, two of whom live with God in the spirit world and three of whom I see very often and who have grandchildren. And I feel blessed with the three that I have and I feel blessed with the two that are with God. But they are gods. I've been given them just for a short period of time. We'll have to look at it from a perspective of, of the children being on loan from God. So exactly. Speak. And that's not to say that I didn't grieve very, very deeply when each of those children passed to God. You mentioned about that tremendous sense, though, of isolation and loneliness over the marriage. And it's yes. interesting because as much as I point to um, how we will have a grieving process and, and culture provides for mm-hmm. uh, sympathy cards and acknowledgement yes. of the loss and things of this sort, but that really doesn't happen around a divorce, does no, it? The death it of doesn't. a marriage, you don't, no. you don't get, people don't send you cards, you don't no. get flowers. I think people who have had to go through divorce, really understand that no one would do that unless they absolutely had to, that it's a, it's a very painful thing to have to do. And um, I, often, I often think, what if I didn't have to do that? What if, if the marriage were still there? And yet it, it wasn't. And I have to acknowledge that it was just the way it was meant to be. Was it important for you to come to a point in life, Pamela, where you grieved for the loss oh, of I that? grieved deeply. I grieved deeply even before uh, I, I separated from my, my husband because I could see it coming, I could feel it coming, and there was some way that, you know, it's like a wave, we couldn't stop it. And um, I'm, I'm going to cry myself to sleep because I knew that's what I was going to have to do. A lot of people go through that experience, be it the loss of a loved one that's very near and dear yes. or a marriage, and 
those past injuries, those old wounds, they continue as, as untreated, gaping wounds that continue to fester and oftentimes hinder our spiritual progress and certainly hamper our relationship with God and with others. Did you find yourself going through that? What what set you on the spiritual journey that you took to sort of get reconnected with God in a deep way and to go looking for, for a lot of the answers that you sought? Well, when Maggie died, she was four months old, I really wasn't involved in spirituality. I went to church every week and I had a relationship with God that I think was significant. But I didn't have any awareness. I hadn't done a lot of reading or studying. It wasn't until Sean died, and Sean died when he was 16. He took his own life. But at that point, I was studying theology, and I was much more aware. I also had experienced the death of a child, so I knew I wasn't going to die. With Maggie, I I didn't know if I could continue living. I, I wasn't suicidal, but it was the pain was so great that how does one live you know, with that level of pain. And that had been a, a difficult childbirth, as I recall. It was a book. very difficult childbirth, Then yes. you went through postpartum depression, which I don't know at that time, did we even really understand? Did we have a name for it at that no, time? I, 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 I don't think we did. Uh, I don't know. I think people did understand that there was some, some sort of hormonal change that was happening that, that women who just gave birth would be sad. But with Maggie, it was the shock of having a, a C-section, and 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 just I just was completely undone at her birth. She almost died at her birth. Say, that that must have been a particularly painful because it was a challenging childbirth. Yes, and and both of your lives were at risk at one point. Were they, they were? Not? Yes. So to get through all of that and kind of have the we made it through. Right. She survived. I survived. Right. And then four months later. This huge black dark cloud rolls in on top That's of right. your life with sudden her, infant death. Her loss, yeah, that sets a lot of people into a downward spiral that some folks unfortunately never really recover from. That's right, and I do a lot of work with people who have lost children, and I don't know if I could say overcome, but I have regained my strength emotionally and. I've spent a lot of time with the pain, feeling the pain with God and asking for healing. Do you think that's important? And I ask that, Pamela, because so often our society is is created in a fashion or we're encouraged in a fashion to try to avoid pain or anesthetize pain. People I go know. through different things in life and I can't handle it. So they reach to the pill bottle. They go to the booze. Maybe they begin overeating. There, there's something in there or become a workaholic. It's something in there that distracts them from going through the pain. And I'm reminded that Christ certainly never promised us that there would be no pain. In fact, we're reminded in Scripture that the rain falls in both the just and the unjust. And so that sense maybe of the importance of learning that we are capable in him and through him to go through the pain as opposed to going around it. That's exactly. And I think being a Christian, I could sit with Jesus and I could he could understand me and I could sit with Mary. I'm raised Catholic, so Mary has been always important to me in my life. She she knows what it's like to lose a child. She does know what it's like to lose a child. And so she became a a great companion for me as I grieved the death of my children. And with Sean particularly, I, I think I had the wisdom to understand that if I didn't feel the pain and allow myself to really 
experience it, that I would never be to the other side. I, w- mm. I would have done something to anesthetize myself. And it becomes a, a major stumbling block, doesn't it? I mean, if you, if you don't go through the grieving process, if you don't, in a sense, legitimize the pain, sometimes we want to hide it because we don't know how to handle it, or society is telling us to buck up, hang in there. Exactly. I bet there were people that said, well, now, Pamela, but you still have three other children. Oh. What about them? Yes. Is this somehow you're going to have that, uh, or, you know, uh, slap on the forehead moment and say, oh, of course, what was I thinking? Right. People sometimes just don't really understand, do they? No, they so don't. In their, in their effort to try and be kind, they're actually heaping more more coals upon our heads unwittingly. Well, you, you said it in the beginning that uh, this losing a child for many people is their worst fear. And so they don't want to see you in pain. So, gosh, it's been a year. Aren't you okay? And it's uncomfortable for people to be with other people who are grieving, especially if you're not willing to feel your own pain. You don't want to be with people that are in pain. I have a lot of compassion for people who are grieving because I felt my pain. Not to say that there won't be another moment where, where I'll experience an aspect of my past that I need to spend time with God with. Because we never know when we're finished. We never know when when everything has been healed. Uh, But I do have compassion for people because I'm not afraid of pain. Pain has transformed me. If you've just joined us, my guest today is Pamela Prime, author of When the Moon is Dark, We Can See the Stars. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Joining me today in studio is Pamela Prime. Now, Pamela, you touch on a very valid point that I want to have you sort of underscore, bold, and italicize for a moment. And that is that we never quite know when we're done with it all in the sense of that that healing process and that grieving process. We we tend sometimes to be... Take such a, a formula approach to this. A very close friend of mine who lost her husband two and a half, three years ago commented to me the other day that, you know, I'm really having a tough time because I'm not over it yet. Mm-hmm. And I thought about that statement and it occurred, I, I finally said to her, I said, you know, is this something you really want to get over? You were married for what, 45, almost 50 years? Is that something you want to get over? When you say get over, what what do you mean? You mean forget about your marriage and three quarters of your life? Are you saying that you want to forget all of the pain? And maybe part of the problem here is that our approach to pain is to avoid it or to be anesthetized from it instead of growing through it. And it seems like what you discovered is walking through Scripture, you realize that this is a process that we don't go around, but we have to go through, and that yes. we can actually grow through that pain and that that process is not necessarily something that's instantaneous like you know a cup of cold water in the microwave and 30 seconds later you've got boiling water that it might be a lifetime absolutely i think our life is spent um growing and maturing in our spirituality and our awareness of who we are and who god is and how we are in relationship you know i i I really think that to understand that we are god's beloved we have to walk the path we can't, we just don't, uh, I don't know, there's some way, and I don't like to use the word we earn, the awareness of 
we are God's beloved, but we certainly have to reach deep into our souls to experience that's who we are. And if we have blocks there because we haven't felt the pain or the anger or the fear, then we aren't going to get to that place of joy and wonder and acceptance of God's love. Pamela the Prime is with us today. The book, When the Moon is Dark, We Can See the Stars. Part of this challenge of managing pain and grief and loss it tends to have a bit of family legacy or history to it, doesn't it? At one point in the book, you talk about um, sort of that history of having grown up and then later on in life carrying on that sense of that, you know, we don't trust, we don't feel, we don't tell. There are a lot of families that are like that. Yes. Uh, things that go on inside the family that might be a family secret. Uh, it can be something severe on that end or just simply a pattern in which we shut off feelings and emotions as a way of dealing with them. And, of course, we know that that ends up warping our relationships and, and certainly our relationship with God. What was the turning point for you to begin to say that, you know, that, that, that legacy, so to speak, that you have been raised with and it continued on in your life of that don't trust, don't feel, don't tell? At what point did you say, we need to short-circuit this? I think the beginning was the death of Maggie. Because I had to feel those feelings. There was no way I could get out from underneath them. But I had another experience of being in the kitchen with my papers, getting ready to teach a CCD, a class on Christian education, to the sixth graders. And the topic was God's love. And, and I sat there looking out the window and I thought, how am I going to teach these children about God's love? And I, and I was looking at the flowers. It was spring and the flowers were beautiful. And... I was thinking, well, one way I could teach them was would just take them out into the, the fields and the gardens and talk about the beauty of nature and how God has given this all to us. And suddenly I had this awareness of God's love that was so overwhelming that I felt it in every cell of my body. Hmm. And I went running to the Bible. At that point in my life, I don't think... I didn't even have a Bible. Um, I I had one family Bible in the house, but I didn't have one that I read every day. And I grabbed this family Bible and I started pouring through it because I wanted to know who this God was that was loving me beyond anything I could possibly ever imagine. And I knew at that point that it wasn't just me, that it was everyone and everything in creation, that this love was just beyond anything that I possibly had ever experienced Our before. Our eyes sometimes get blinded to that, like the proverbial horse with the blinders on. We see down, just down that narrow yeah. tunnel of the road ahead of us. And you, know, you would think of the example that you'd say, how do we demonstrate God's love when there's so much pain in the earth and there's so much suffering? Exactly. And to try to explain to a young child who could, as you're talking about, God is love and what we see demonstrated of God's love through the sacrifice of his son in Scripture, who couldn't readily raise a hand and say, but wait a minute. How do you explain away the fact that my daddy was killed in the war or mommy and daddy are no longer married or, you know, whatever a child might bring up is the pain that they're they're dealing with. And to to be able to see that God's love transcends all of that. Yes. And that he loves us through those painful experiences. Walks with us, carries us. I mean, tears with us. And uh, I, I think sometimes we focus so much on what's wrong that we forget about focusing on what's exquisite and on, on God. Do we have to work hard 
that passage in Scripture comes to mind, labor to enter into his rest. Do we have to work hard to labor into experiencing his joy? And I ask that question because some people may just want to plop themselves down in a room and say, okay, God, make it all happen. Yes. <laughs> this is a journey, isn't it? It definitely is a journey. You I mean, talk that- in the book about praying and fasting and mm-hmm. reading, and you even went back to school. You were studying uh, theology with the Jesuits. Yes. There's some effort at this, isn't there? Well, there is an effort, but there's also uh, there's also the experience of God causing that effort. Do you know there's some way in which I was called into prayer and called to study and called to search and called because the longing that I had in me that I was feeling was really God longing for me. Mm. And it was my response. And the deeper you go in, the deeper he draws you in. Well, yes, you because, you're, because then you're available mm. to God for those calls. So it's, it's a really, it's a love relationship, really. And um, I think that lover wants all of us. <laughs> he does indeed, doesn't he? Yes. On this edition of Lifeline, Pamela Prime is with us today. We're going to take a brief time out, have her share some closing thoughts as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to this edition of Lifeline. Joining me today in studio is Pamela Prime, author of When the Moon is Dark, We Can See the Stars. So Pamela, as we were talking just before the break, There is a longing of God's creation for him. And really, there's also God who longs for us. And of course, the deeper we go in that longing, the deeper he draws us in. Um, Yes. There's so much we see in Scripture about surrendering. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly, Christ ultimately modeled that. My goodness, the, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yes. And knowing the pain that he knew he would be facing, and yet... To be able to have the stamina to say, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Yes. Even in that moment, yes, Christ demonstrated to us what it means to fully surrender to God. And then watch as we see that story unfold from Gethsemane to then Golgotha and eventually on that hill hung on the tree. And then, of course, the good news of the resurrection on the third day, we see how God was there through all of that. Even at the moment when he utters, God, why have you forsaken me? We Mm -hmm. we fully understand that, in fact, God had not forsaken him at any point. And maybe that's the big, important message that that readers can extrapolate from your book, that even though we go through these experiences, as you recount the story of losing Maggie, Sean to suicide at the age of 16, your marriage after 23 years... That God is still with us, even though sometimes it doesn't always feel like that. Yes. He hasn't forsaken us. And if we will reach out to him, he will reach back to us, won't he? Well, I think God is reaching out to us before we reach out to God. Yeah, you right. know, I think we're already in God's lap. <laughs> this is lap. very true, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, God is waiting for us. Although God was I, never lost. No, God was never lost. I, I remember just getting so so upset and so sad one day because we had moved and I was in a place that I had never lived before and, and a neighborhood that was very foreign to me. We moved from the from the east coast was this the tennessee experience yeah to yeah. tennessee mm-hmm. and i that's where i really was lonely and isolated and and really depressed 
Uh, I got the East Coast or or Walnut Creek on the other end, and then Tennessee. That's a culture shock. Yeah, and so I I was like a fish out of water, really. And I remember just plunking myself down in this chair and and just raising my eyes and, and my hands and saying, God, where are you? And I heard back, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> you know? I was there so, all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that was, that was another turning point. It was, you know, these, these moments where I realized, I would realize that I had this magnificent relationship, this magnificent love relationship. And, uh, you know, God was always poking at me and, and trying to wake me up to that. So those peaks on the uh, the Richter scale, like exactly. an earthquake, you know, they don't happen all the time. Right. But those earthquakes that sometimes can uh, jostle us, yes, they can be upsetting, like some of the events in life can be upsetting. Yeah. And yet they can also be those, those shocking moments that will awaken a sense of the spiritual in us. That's right. Drive us back toward Scripture, back toward the foot of the cross, Mm -hmm. because let's face it, when life is going well, what do you need God for? But it's in those moments when life is shaking us like an earthquake that we suddenly now can open our eyes and and realize that it's more about than just the pain and the loss and the grieving and the trying to figure it out. It's about allowing God to love us in and through those negative experiences, the terrible things that most of the world works very hard to try to avoid or anesthetize the pain of, and experience God in the pain. Yeah. yeah. You know, Paul talked about knowing Christ in the power of the resurrection, and people like to put the period right there. Boom. I like that. Boy, the resurrection. Look at that. Raised from the dead. Can't beat that. Right. But he doesn't end there. He goes on to say, and in the fellowship of of his sufferings. And we we like that power of the resurrection part, but getting to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings and realizing, as you mentioned earlier, that he knows, he can relate, he knows mm-hmm. what we're going through. Exactly. And in and through that, then we can find that sense of, of peace and comfort that surpasses all understanding. Yes. Yeah. And that certainly has been your experience, hasn't it? It really has been my experience. And that's really why I wrote the book, because I feel very blessed. I... I find now, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but the majority of my prayer is a prayer of gratitude mm-hmm. because of my life. I just feel deeply blessed. I have a beautiful marriage and live in a beautiful part of the world, and I don't know. God is just blessing me. <laughs> Let's talk about briefly the beautiful part of the world that you live in, down oh. <laughs> in, in Twain Heart. Um, you and your husband... Um, operate just a wonderful location there. You've had a retreat center for many, many years that I understand is now available. And boy, a family looking for a great place to get away to, or maybe um, even a religious organization that says, hey, we'd like to just get a a, a small, neat little retreat center in the middle of the the spectacular uh, California Redwoods. You're about an hour north of Yosemite, so listeners that know the Twain Heart area immediately know we're talking about a little slice of heaven here on this side. Um, You've got a beautiful piece of property there. Tell us a bit about it. Well, it's uh, it's five acres, and um, when Dave and I moved there, we started to recreate it. It had fallen into great disrepair. So we rebuilt the house 
uh, completely, really. I think there was one stick left by the time <laughs> the contractor got in and started ripping things out. Uh, and so we built a beautiful home. But then we built a tree house that's 35 feet above the ground. And uh, that was all architecturally designed and built by a, by a man from Maine who we brought to help us build this. And the community built it on the ground, and we lifted it up with a crane. Uh, we've had a lot of fun on the property. The property has a lake that's all spring-fed, and it has a stream that goes through it. And then we have another guest house that's on the lake, that it floats on the lake. It has a float, and uh, these buildings are yurts. We have a writer's studio, and we also have another yurt that was really our chapel. And... Um, we did healing circles every month. And you've done a lot of writing there on the property, too. I have. I, I moved there to write, and so that's where I wrote the book. So it really is, is the kind of environment that can allow you to get away from the madness of, uh, of all the, the busyness of the big cities, so yes. to speak. And, and, you know, what better place, if you're looking to reconnect with God or go deeper with God, than yes. to get out there in his creation right. where you suddenly realize that sparrows cast shadows when the sun is in the right direction um, and that there's other noise than the sound of passing fire engines and helicopters and the airport nearby mm-hmm. and really be able to kind of just yeah. bask in the glory of that creation. Yes, it's beautiful. It's very peaceful. People say when they come on retreat, uh, we have three guest houses for retreats, they say, uh, this place is magical, or they say it's so peaceful. And we've had, I think that the place has just grown in terms of its sense. You know when you go in a church, you feel really a beautiful energy, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's because people pray there. And many, many people have come to the property and, and prayed and meditated and done retreats. So you feel that energy on the property, aside from the fact that the trees and the water are exquisite energetically and the birds and all the little animals that live there. And as beautiful as a, a chapel can be, it's still made by the hands of man. And yet you're you're in a chapel there that is literally created by the very hand of God himself. Exactly. Can't really compete with that, can no, you? No, you can't. Folks want to get more information, um, I'll send you to the website, twobearsdancing.org. That's twobearsdancing.org. And I want to thank Pamela Prime for dropping by and sharing today. It's been great to visit with you. Thank you, Craig. More information again on the web, twobearsdancing.org. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.